Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the season of Lent, we are often asked to reflect on how we can change our lives to become more like Jesus. Towards this end, over the next six weeks, we are going to focus on what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading today is Psalm 41. Happy are those who consider the poor. The Lord delivers them in the day of trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. They are called happy in the land. You do not give them up to the will of their enemies. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed. In their illness, you heal all their infirmities. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies wonder in malice when I will die and my name perish. And when they come to see me, they utter empty words. While their hearts gather mischief, when they go out, they tell it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They think that a deadly thing has fastened on me, that I will not rise again from where I lie. Even my bosom friend in whom I trusted, who ate of my bread, has lifted the heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you are pleased with me because my enemy has not triumphed over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teachers, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, 
Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During the season of Lent, we're doing a sermon series called The Fruit of the Spirit. The idea behind this series is that when you're in touch with God's Spirit, you come to embody certain qualities. And these qualities are outlined for us in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. They are self-control, patience, kindness, joy, generosity, gentleness, peace, faithfulness, and love. Each week, we're going to examine one of these fruits of the Spirit in detail. We're going to dive deep into it so that we can try to live it out throughout the week, which is going to lay the foundation for what we're going to talk about in the coming week. And last week, we discussed the fruit of joy. In order to experience joy in our lives, we have to tear down the barriers that separate us from one another. And as those barriers fall, it allows you to experience this deep, intimate connection with the people around you. It's like they fully see you and you fully see them and you feel connected not just in your minds, not just in your heart, but in your souls. And in this way, joy is what we experience when the veil between ourselves and the world is very thin. And the experience of joy, it lays the foundation for the fruit that we are going to be discussing today, the fruit of generosity. Now, when we think of a generous person, the first thing that often comes to mind is someone who is very giving. So a generous person is someone who gives openly of their time, their talent, their resources. But the spiritual discipline of generosity is actually much deeper than simply giving to others. So the root word of generosity comes from the Latin word generosus, which denotes someone who comes from noble birth. So the word generosity is formed out of a very particular situation with a person of nobility, where they had to be kind or they chose to be kind towards a rival or someone who is less powerful. So in other words, generosity is when you hold power over another person and you could tip the scale in either direction. This other person is very vulnerable and you have the option to walk away leaving them helpless, or you can tip the scale in the other direction and offer them help. Now this dynamic is highlighted in a very profound way through the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells us that there was a Jewish man who was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was well known in Jesus' day for being extremely dangerous. So this is a picture of that road, and as you can see, there are all these nooks and crannies where as you come around a corner, people could be hiding, and they could very easily jump out and ambush you. It was actually so notorious that it was nicknamed the Way of Blood because there were so many robbers and bandits who were prowling along the road. Now, unfortunately, this Jewish man, he falls into the hands of robbers. They ambush him, they tear his clothes from his body, they rob him of his valuables, they beat him, and they leave him for dead. Then Jesus tells us that three people end up coming across this man. Now, the first person is a priest. Now, the priests, they were the ones who worked in the temple in Jerusalem. These are men who come from the aristocracy, but they are men of high repute. These are people who are looked upon by the public as having a lot of moral authority. So the audience would have expected him to stop and help the dying man, but he passes by not providing him with any assistance. The second person is a Levite. 
Now, the Levites were also part of the priestly class, but they held lesser positions, and they were not as highly regarded. However, the audience listening to Jesus' parable, they would have expected the Levite to stop as well and help the dying man, but of course, he passes on too, not providing him with any assistance. Now, this is the setup in the parable, and it's very important to understand that you have these two very moral men who decide to leave this man who is dying on the side of the road in peril without any help. But this setup, what it does is it makes the punchline of the parable so much more powerful. You see, at the time that Jesus was telling this parable, people expected that the third person who would walk by would be an Israelite, who was just your average guy. So the grouping was usually a priest, a Levite, and an Israelite. Like, you know, a priest, a Levite, and an Israelite walk into the bar, right? It's the same type of thing we do when we group three people together. But Jesus doesn't go with the expected formula. He deviates, and he goes with a Samaritan. Now today, most people don't know about the reputation of Samaritans during Jesus' era. But a lot of animosity had built up between the Samaritans and the Jews. They kind of hated each other for a lot of different reasons. Now, the Samaritans thought of themselves as actually being far superior to the Jews. They were much more cosmopolitan. They were much more open, whereas the Jewish people tended to be closed. And every so often, they would have skirmishes between each other. The Samaritans would attack the Jews, and the Jews wouldn't hesitate to return the favor. Now, it's not all that different from the situation that we see today in Israel, where the Israelis and the Palestinians will often trade shots with one another. So a good modern equivalent for this story would be something like this. A man lies wounded on the side of the road. And then Mother Teresa, she saw the man and that he was suffering, but instead of help him, she kept walking on by. And then after she left, a little while later, Nelson Mandela, he came walking along, and he saw the man dying on the side of the road, but rather than help him, he kept on walking by. And then finally, the last person to cross his path was Osama bin Laden. He cared for the man, he provided him with aid, and he made sure that he was going to be healed from his wounds. Now, that's what it would have been like to hear this parable in Jesus' day and time. It was supposed to shock you. It was supposed to move you out of your prejudices because everything that you know tells you that Osama bin Laden is evil and he's not capable of doing anything good. Now, I think it's important to note in this parable, the Samaritan actually does not know this man. They're not related to each other. They have no affiliation whatsoever. In fact, they're sworn enemies. And yet, the Samaritan is the one who offers assistance. Remember what I told you earlier? Generosity is when you hold power over another person and you could tip the scale in either direction. You have the option to walk away, leaving them helpless, or you can choose to offer help. The Samaritan has every reason to keep on walking. He comes across a Jew who has been, he's been taught to hate his entire life. And given their dynamic, I don't think it would be unreasonable for the Samaritan to take one glance at this battered Jewish man and think to himself, he got what he deserved. I can also imagine how when the Samaritan returned to Samaria, he might even become a minor celebrity among his friends by telling this story in the marketplace. You know, on my travels to Jericho, I came across a Jewish man on the side of the road and I left him there to die. 
And his friends would probably listen with nods of approval and say, good for you, man. Way to stick it to those Jews. But the Samaritan, who holds all the power in this situation, he tips the scales in the other direction. He takes the injured man, he places him on his animal, and takes him to an inn where the Samaritan cares for him. And then, when the Samaritan has to leave, he tells the innkeeper to look after the man. And whatever costs are incurred, the Samaritan will pay those as well. Now, what this story reflects is the true definition of generosity. When you go out of your way to transform another person's life, even when you have every incentive not to do so. The question we have to answer is how do we cultivate that kind of generosity as Christians? And personally, I think it all begins with a total shift in the way that we see the world. And personally, I think this shift can only occur with the experience of joy. Now, as I stated at the beginning of the sermon, joy comes from tearing down the barriers that really separate us from one another. And when you have developed the spiritual discipline of joy, where you have removed the veil separating you from other people, you begin to understand that we are all one, that we are all unified together. And once you experience that connection, you come to realize something quite profound. The idea that you own something is kind of ludicrous. Every resource you utilize in your life, whether it be food, clothes, medicine, your cell phone, your car, or the roof over your head, all of those things originate from the earth. And the earth comes from God. And so anything that you actually think you own, you're really borrowing from God during your stay on this planet. And once you've let go of the belief that these things in your life belong exclusively to you, then it becomes much easier to share what you have for the benefit of others. This is why the Samaritan is willing to go to such lengths to help this man who is dying on the side of the road. Clearly, the Samaritan views this Jewish man as his responsibility to the point where he's willing to expend great resources to help him heal. So what this tells us is that generosity is more than simply our outward actions. For Jesus, generosity is a state of being. It's an orientation of our character, an understanding that our responsibility to love our neighbors extends well beyond our family, our friends, and our colleagues. For Jesus, true generosity is when we assume responsibility for caring for the strangers in our community we don't currently know, but who require our help. And what's really neat is that we're doing that right now in the middle of this crisis. So Michelle Hollyfield came to me and told me about a need that Journeys has right now, which is that because the libraries have closed and because there are so many places that have just shut down, that people who are homeless have nowhere to spend their days. And so she came to me and told me about this issue that Journeys was having, that they're packed full, they have too many people. And so we went to the trustees and we asked if people in our community who didn't have a place to stay could use our gym for the day. And they have been, and they've been so grateful that we've opened up our space to them so that they have a place to go. Now, this is exactly the definition of generosity that Jesus seeks from us, to care for those who we don't even know. And I also want to talk to you today about something 
that we can do that's coming in the future that will be even bigger than what we are trying to do right now in the middle of this crisis. So there is something that has transpired in this church over the last year and a half or so, and particularly in the last three months. Now, if you were here during Lent last year, I preached the sermon series, The Footsteps of Jesus, you may have heard me preach about the idea of First Pres possibly creating a clinic in our church for people in our community who are uninsured, who are underinsured, and lack access to primary medical care. Now, I was promoting this idea because one of Jesus' commandments to us as Christians is that we are to bring healing to the sick. Now, as a result of this sermon, I formed a committee of medical professionals from our congregation to investigate what it would take to establish this clinic. So I got together with nurses and doctors and dentists and dietitians, and our research led me to eventually have conversations with Northwest Community Hospital. Now, what I discovered is that Northwest Community Hospital, along with many other types of medical services in the area, they have done a remarkable job of creating quality resources for those who are uninsured or underinsured. There are several free clinics in the area, and those clinics provide a myriad of quality services. The issue they face is that many of the people who could benefit from those services are not even aware that they exist. And so what we did was we had our medical professionals in this church start going to pads, talking to the guests who were there to help them understand that these services do exist and how they could access those services if they were in need of them. Now, I will admit to you that I was both happy and sad to learn of this news. I was happy in the sense that there were already good medical services in place for a very needy population of people. But that also meant that our idea of creating a clinic was dead in the water. But then, a few weeks after our conversations with Northwest Community Hospital, I was emailed by a representative from the Kenneth Young Center. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Kenneth Young Center. I had never heard of them before they emailed me. But they specialize in working with behavioral health services for people who are uninsured or underinsured. The woman who was coming to see me was named Kate Garabak, and she wanted me to know that the Kenneth Young Center was going to be renting out the retail space across the street in the new apartment viewing, the Parkview apartment building, for their mobile emergency unit. Now, essentially what that means is that when somebody calls the suicide hotline, the Kenneth Young Center will send people from their offices to the scene to try to work with that person, to talk them down, and to get them into treatment. In this way, the retail space that they'll be using is going to be utilized by Kenneth Young Center employees who are going to be on call 24-7 to deal with these emergencies. They just wanted me to know that they were moving in. Now, interestingly, during our conversations with Northwest Community Hospital, one of the areas where they said they were actually lacking, so they said we have everything covered, but one of the areas that we really don't have covered are behavioral health services, what many people refer to as mental health services as well. So I explained to Kate everything that we were trying to do with the clinic and how it hadn't worked out the way we had hoped. And so I asked her if we were to create a community center in our building and use those offices that we had originally envisioned for the medical clinic for you all to utilize for behavioral health services, would the Kenneth Young Center be interested in partnering with us. In January, the CEO of the Kenneth Young Center, along with several employees, came to the session and gave a presentation to the elders 
in our church about what this partnership might look like and the services that they might be able to offer out of our church. The elders took it upon themselves to investigate the Kenneth Young Center. They made visits to their facility. They asked all kinds of questions. And what they learned is that the Kenneth Young Center, they offer a variety of different services. So let me just outline a few for you. So individual, couple, family, and group therapy, counseling teens and young adults who are struggling with substance abuse and mental disorders, employment services, transitional living programs, and for those who are on Medicare, they will help you sign up for and get access to the benefits to which you are entitled. And the list goes on. They actually offer a whole variety of other kinds of services as well. Now, if we partner with the Kenneth Young Center, they would not only provide all of these services for our church community, but also for the larger Arlington Heights community free of charge. Now, this is a huge need because so many people in our community lack access to affordable mental health services. For those struggling with depression, anxiety, and addiction, those services really can often be the difference between life and death. And so having these services at their disposal is something that is really, really important for the future of our community. Two weeks ago, the Kenneth Young Center returned to session to answer any lingering questions, and the session voted unanimously that they do want to partner with them. So the next step is for us to have Kate and the other members of the Kenneth Young Center to come to First Pres and talk about all the ways that we plan to partner. So as an example, next fall, we're going to begin offering their services to our PADS guests by having their counselors be present at PADS. And from there, we will slowly move into a larger array of services. Now, hopefully, we'll be able to raise enough money from our capital campaign to make the necessary changes to our building to create this community center. You'll be hearing a lot more about the capital campaign in the coming months. The launch date for the campaign will hopefully be in September. But in the meantime, what I want you to consider is how your contributions to the capital campaign will help to create this new space that very much fits Jesus' definition of generosity. Remember what I said? True generosity is when we assume responsibility for caring for the strangers in our community who we don't currently know, but who require our help. This opportunity through our partnership with the Kenneth Young Center will have an impact on thousands of people in our area who previously lacked access to behavioral health services. Like the man on the side of the road in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we will be serving people who are hoping that someone will find them and usher them to safety. Together, we can be the Samaritan who shares of his resources for the benefit of the less fortunate. Our elders are very excited about this possibility, as am I and the other pastors. We feel inspired to be part of something truly special and unique that will further help to establish God's kingdom on earth. And my hope and prayer for you is that you might be inspired to be truly generous, to be part of something that will not only change your life and the lives of your family and your friends and your colleagues, but also the lives of the neighbors you have yet to meet, but who are waiting for someone to usher them to safety. I truly believe that together, when we try to go into partnerships like this, where we're trying to help people who are in need, people who we don't even know, we truly can become the Christians who live into Jesus' definition of what it means to be generous. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, 
please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.